It's longer time. Yay! Yay. Lager Time, Poems, Stories and Thoughts, by me, Paul Cree. Who else? Greetings, bonjour, what's happening? Welcome to Lager Time. What's been going on? World Cup, Christmas kicking off. It's like two important people trying to have a conversation with me at the same time, in the same room, of the same house, which might be falling apart. Love it, mate. As is the case recently, episodes are inconsistent at the minute. Number of reasons for this, one of which is this EP, Toasting the Machine, which is out now on Bad Camp for a mere five pounds. It's five tracks, I produced it all myself. If you like alternative electronic music, I guess it may well be up your street. I've submitted it for digital distribution, which is Spotify and all of them. And I was hoping it would be out on Friday, but it's out of my hands, mate. Stay tuned. I'll let you know when it's all up. Alternatively, you can subscribe to me on Spotify and Apple and all of them where you can also get this lager time and hear me spitting on a bunch of other tracks. I guess the main reason why the episodes have been inconsistent is because they're now taking me longer to both write and produce. The stories themselves are becoming more and more elaborate and have gone from being almost 100% accurate to that familiar blend of fact and fiction which I've done for years. Not intentionally, it just seems to have gone that way the more I have fun I have with it. So I'm thinking I've got to start doing this every other week, which is pretty much what I've been doing anyway this last month. So this week will be the second part to the date with mate story. Hope you all enjoy, have a great week. Until next time. Satellite Stories Episode 5 A Date With Mates Part 2 It must have been well over an hour after the girls were supposed to meet us. All of us subtly checking our watches but no one audibly making a fuss that they were late and we might be being mugged off. We decided to bop down to the bowling alley in case they were already there, holding that simultaneous emotional dissonance of hope and humiliation, like attending school, knowing that we're all going to come out of it with something We headed down the Broadway towards the old high street, passing Index and the game's workshop, where inside the window we spied a few buds from our year, like Andrew Wang and Wayne Jones, painting figurines of whatever it was they did in there. Wayne Jones waved and nudged Andrew Wang to look in our direction. Rich then made a wanker sign at them, followed by a pidge, and they both laughed. 
These boys were the bottom of the hierarchy in our year, so even Pidge got to lord it over them a bit. I joined in too, making a half-hearted wanker sign like my hand was shy. I caught VJ's eyes looking at me, which carried an air of disappointment, triggering a slightly unpleasant feeling in my chest. VJ on occasion played football with these boys. The social hierarchy was a delicate seesaw, easily tipped, and none of us had enough weight to counterbalance a negative force. And VJ was right. I felt bad. Those boys were alright, really. It's just that none of us understood any of that stuff they were into. At least they had something to distract them from the inevitable spirit-crushing disappointment of being a young teenage geese trying to get some feel-ups, with about as much swagger as a badly drawn six-knuckle fist flipping the bird on the back of a cheap denim jacket. Passing from the 60s concrete grey and into the old town centre where the oldish buildings were, we arrived outside the bowling alley to see our three female accomplices just coming out the main doors holding shopping bags. Oh my god, where have you wankers been? We've been waiting for ages. Helen's mum almost got a parking fine for overstaying. I immediately felt guilty and wanted to apologise. Sorry. But wait, for what? What are you talking about? We've been waiting outside CNA for proper time. Go on, Rich. That's why you're in charge. Natalie responded. CNA? You never said CNA. We said Debenhams. We were stood outside fucking Debenhams for 20 minutes waiting for you dickheads. Shit, Rich. That's why you ain't an alpha. But then I thought about it for a sec. Debenhams? 20 minutes? Debenhams or CNA, regardless of the rendezvous, they were still late and moving the goalposts. Why would we say meet outside Debenhams? It made no sense. Debenhams was all the way over the other side of the mall. None of us even suggested Debenhams. Debenhams was where you went with your mum during the holidays for the Blue Cross sales, hoping you didn't get clocked. This was most likely our class issue. CNA was probably too downtrodden and probably too close to McDonald's with all those white boys stood outside spitting on the floor, smoking and occasionally wearing jackets with fuck you written on the back in blue biro. I duly noted they were carrying various shopping bags, Tammy Gill and Debenhams. Debenhams. Of course, I said nothing. I played it cool. I was cool. But then I could feel the faint draught of righteousness whirling up on my belly. Go on, son. Yeah, well, we, like, didn't, like, know it was, like, Debenhams, yeah? And plus, like, we couldn't, like, go because, like, there, because Kells is, like, banned and we were all early and, like, why have you got, like, shopping bags if you were waiting then? Then Lauren cuts in. Well, listen, we've wasted enough time, so let's get in there and play and you boys should pay for the first game. But I need to go and tell my mum to pick us up later soon as you're all late. Shit. Did she aim that at me? She wasn't looking at me. In fact, she was looking at the other two girls and I swear she almost laughed. Wait, where's your mum then? My house. Go on, Pidge. What's that? Ah, oh, nothing. Helen sternly pointed out. She's right behind you. And lo and behold, 
parked up no more than five metres from where we stood was Lauren's mum in a maroon Renault Espace and directly in line with her eyesight was the back of Pidge's denim jacket. Fuck you, Lauren's mum. She had a scowl on her face. I doubt she saw marriage material in any of us. They headed on in and us boys had a quick huddle knowing we now had to pay for the birds. I had an extra £5 with a few squids and Rich had a £20 note. Between us, we hoped and prayed it would be enough. We followed them in, then stopped and decided, forced Pidge to put his jacket inside VJ's bag with the jazz mags. It was for his own good. Pidge still insisting that people would like it. It was Byro. What was he thinking? We made him put it in the bag. As soon as we walked into that entrance, we suddenly stood taller, shoulders went back and swung side to side a bit and slowly bowled through, faking it till we made it. It was always a bit hairy, being a young teen in a town like this, at the bowling alley on a Saturday. It weren't just appealing for young teens and families of all persuasions, with all the flashing lights of the arcade machines, loud music, sticky carpet, fag and johnny machines. It was a magnet for any aspiring white boy who fancied themselves as a sharpshooter on Time Crisis or a knockout artist on the punch machine. So I felt on my guard. We all probably did. Rich was the only one out of us who had a bit. And even then, that was doubtful. It was at times like this where you wanted someone like Kells or Gareth about. Boys that could front and back it, who held a bit of respect. The girls were waiting by the desk and had already arranged the game. They were just waiting for us to pay and exchange our prized trainers for those horrible bowling shoes. At least it was a leveller and we all had to bear the shit footwear. We squared up and the young geezer behind the counter gave her this knowing look, like a little nod. He was young in terms of life, but old to us, maybe late teens, and must have seen a ton of young pretenders desperate to get off with some chicks walk that inevitable road to disappointment. It was a rite of passage. I felt like he was saluting us. Pidge insisted we didn't use his name, Pidge, when we typed the names on the machine before starting the game. VJ had assumed the administrative role of setting it all up. He was heavily dyslexic, but instead insisted and of course typed in Pidge, the only name he did spell right, so it appeared on the screen, really pissing Pidge off. 3-0 to VJ, as we all laughed at Pidge, until Helen intervened. Ah, oh, why are you lot so mean to him? Ah, oh, poor Pidge. We immediately went quiet, stupefied, especially VJ. 3-1, and I could see Pidge blush a little bit. Either side of the machine were the two 80 sofas made of cracked and ripped tan faux leather. We immediately split ourselves, girls on one side, boys on the other. I was purposely remaining cool around Lauren by being as physically as far away from, as possible from her within the confines of our designated bowling section, hoping that she should eventually want to talk to me as I was intriguing and mysterious and thoughtful and cool. Instead, she was talking to Natalie about some bracelets she bought in Tamigil. Rich was first up and he delivered confidently, knocking down eight or so of the pins. I was jealous of his confidence, even if it was forced, and his competency with the ball, but weirdly quite proud of him too. I was living vicariously through his achievements. We all probably were. Natalie then stepped up, 
holding the ball with two hands as if she was going to do an underarm throw. Bent right down and lugged it straight into the gutter, but all the while looking like she was having the time of her life. She immediately cracked up, as did the other girls. Couldn't argue with that. Pidge was next. He stepped up with a nod technique, but he ran at it from the side. What the fuck is he doing? We were cracking up as he ran up and let go of the ball, but it weirdly seemed to work as he knocked down all but one of the pins and then completed the half strike. Go on, Pidge. He rose a foot taller after that, and I saw VJ sink into his seat a bit. 3-2. I wondered if Pitch was regretting putting his jacket in VJ's bag. Helen was next. She put the gullies on the one side of the lane and slowly bowled up of the super light orange balls and managed to knock down a couple of pins, swiftly followed by VJ, who seemed far too rushed to get up. Watch this, boys. He chose the heaviest ball and flung it straight into the gutter. He was visually pissed off and had his hands in his hands crouched down, 3-3. Lauren then arose from her seat, looking as focused as a sniper on a rooftop target in sight. Go on, girl. I'd never seen anything like it. She selected her ball, closed one eye and measured out her bowl, then sent it fast down the lane, even remaining in a slightly crouched pose for a few seconds, like TV snooker players once they've sent a shot, mouthing something under her breath not long after releasing the ball. The shot was a bit wayward, but she still managed to take down a few of the corner pins. I wasn't sure what to make of her seriousness. If anything, it was a bit of a turn-off. But she was good, but serious. Then it came to my turn. Just as I got up, trying to look cool, like a drunk person trying to act sober, Pidge said to me, Don't fuck it up, bruv. With anything like this, bowling, pool, darts, taking penalties at football, being picked on in class by teachers demanding I answer difficult questions, this could easily go the wrong way. I had some sort of ability that meant sometimes I could pull off a good bowl, pot, throw, kick, correct answer, but when the nerves kicked in and those horrible chemicals suddenly flood the bloodstream, it was like my body would go partially numb and the voices in my head became deafening and oftentimes, knowing I had to do it, I just sort of close my eyes and hope for the best, praying that my body knew what to do. I selected my ball. A medium green ball with some 80s marble-like effect reminding me of boiled sweets. Slotted it into my right hand, thinking there was multiple pairs of eyes watching me. I stepped up to the lane and tripped. I didn't quite fall, but I almost went down. She fell over. Came the chant from Rich with Pigeon backup vocals cackling away. I smiled and tried to laugh with the boys, act cool, because cool people just ride it out. I'm cool, sort of. I didn't know what I was doing. How do you do this again? Do you swing your arm back and then let go? Okay, swing your arm back. I tentatively stepped up to the lane like walking into the headmaster's office when you've been in trouble. Sort of put my arm back and then my body took over like a malfunctioning sat-nav and sent the ball straight into next door's lane. The boys were cracking up. Lauren wasn't even looking at me. Helen goes, Ah, <laughs> nice shot. I laughed at them again and played it cool. Ah, yeah, it's cool, it's cool. I'm just playing it cool. 
We cracked on. The game went pretty fast. I mentally cocooned myself, was still convinced that I was indeed still playing it cool. Though VJ was quiet, he managed to get into his stride a bit. Rich took a few fumbles, but Pidge was leading, and I saw a whole new side to him. Natalie clearly didn't care and had taken to bowling balls backwards or whatever else took her fancy. Helen would bowl so slowly, but steadily picked up points, whereas Lauren could get a strike one go and then zero on the next, proper erratic form. All the while, the girls seemed content to talk amongst themselves, even with Rich trying to bring them into conversation. Sometimes they reciprocated, and sometimes they didn't forcing Rich to go down the Natalie route and start doing crazy stuff to get their attention, like bowling through his legs, which seemed to amuse them. Though I don't know if they were laughing at him or with him. You never did. That was the problem. It kind of worked, though, as they stopped noticing when I stepped up to bowl and managed to get a few fairly decent rounds in and regain a slither of dignity. Meanwhile, Pidge was flying. Killing it so much so that while VJ was taking his go, Pidge decided to cross the threshold and move over to their side of the seating arrangement. What was he thinking? Pidge, don't do it. You're not ready. What was even worse is that he sat next to Lauren and she had no problem with this and was engaging him in conversation about music and clothes. What? I was way cooler than Pidge. Who does he think he is? Pidge must have been the catalyst for total societal chaos because then Helen and Natalie crossed over the threshold to our side with Natalie sitting on Rich's lap and Helen sitting next to VJ hugging him. Pidge didn't bat an eyelid. He was too busy chatting away with Lauren. What madness was this? I played it cool by trying to be cool and just sitting there not knowing where to look. I'd stepped up for my go and managed to score a half strike feeling well pleased with myself. I turned around, arms out in celebration, to see no one paying attention. They were all busy doing what looked like flirting. This is bullshit, mate. I decided to take a trip to the Kazi. I'm going toilet, don't take my go. No one responded. As I stepped away from our temporary portal of hormonal confusion, I heard a voice. Oi, oi. Shit. Kells appeared out of nowhere. My heart jumped, thinking this is the last thing I need. His little crew of disciples weren't with him, though. Where were they? And what was he doing on his own? What are you up to, bruv? Shit, he wants in. Bowling, mate. What was them lot? He gestured to everyone behind me. Yeah, I said. He then stopped, paused, and smiled. This wasn't good. Is that Pitch? And that Lauren bird. I turned around thinking that Kells was referring to the overconfident, snidey, sit-down-and-talk tactics of Pidge. To see that Pidge was fully getting off with Lauren. And suddenly my fear went from hoping that Kells wouldn't come over to take the piss out of Pidge and ruin it for everyone, to suddenly hating Pidge, the fat prick. Yeah, he is the fat prick. Kells paused again and ironed up the situation. These pauses of his were like a life sentence. Chill out, bruv. Do you fancy her or something? What? No. Fair play to Pidge, the fat cunt. Didn't think he had it in him. Looks like the other two are doing all right as well. Who are you getting off with? Ah, oh, me. You know me. Just playing it cool, mate. 
what, wanking in the toilets with your little porno, mate? What? Nah, 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 lad, just playing it cool, mate. Just playing it cool. They're all munters anyway. Munters? Shall I go over and tell them that, yeah? What? Nah, 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 I didn't mean it like that. They're cool. They're cool. Why did I say that? So you do fancy one of them then? What? Nah, like, I just like, you know, like, shut up, man. Just messing with you, you pussy. Maybe you can sniff Pidge's fat fingers later on, and speaking of which, tell Pidge I'll be seeing his mum tonight. I need to give her some more pubes. And a lot more, know what I mean? You take it easy, bruv. Yeah. In a bit, Kells. Well, at least Kells wasn't coming over to join our game. I slumped back down in the portal of debauchery that was our bowling booth. Natalie was now on VJ's lap, and Helen had her hand on Richie's thigh. He was sat back with his arms spread over the back of the chair, looking as if this was just a regular, everyday occurrence. Stop it, Rich. This never happens, you prick. I stared into the distance, looking at the flashing lights of the corner, when all the arcade machines were, watching some white boys playing on time crisis, wishing I was somewhere else. I was too cool for this place. Stop looking so sad. Before I could even reply, Natalie came over and sat on my lap. On my lap? I didn't fancy Natalie, but I did now. She was on my lap. I didn't know what to do. What was going on? Shit, this was amazing. Look, I'm sat on Paul's lap. Like a sleeping dog that hears the faintest bark sound in the distance and goes straight into bark mode, I had an instant boner. Don't get a boner, bruv. VJ piped up. I ain't got a boner. Shut up. I did. Natalie actually looked at me despite being sat on my lap. We held eye contact for a split second. She knew, I knew, she knew. She didn't say anything though. And when I sat back over on the girl's side, shit, where are you going? I wanted more, she smells so nice. It was a mad feeling having Natalie sit on my lap like that for all of one minute. It's like it provoked a whole load of senses that I had no control over. As well as the boner, I didn't even know why I got a boner. I wasn't sexually aroused, or maybe I was, I just didn't know it. Either way, I was back in the game and suddenly felt so alive, wanting to get involved with everything around me. I wanted Natalie back, even though I still fancied Lauren. I fancied all of them, really. Wow, chicks are amazing. Wait, was that Philips? Does that even count as feel-ups? Pidge stepped up the bowl, and this time only knocked a few pins over. <laughs> Unlucky Pidge. A few minutes ago, I would have cussed him off, but now I was being positive. Everything felt positive. We all cheered when Natalie at last managed to knock down a few pins. It was a nice moment, until VJ quietly pointed out that we only had a few goes left. Shit, just as things were getting good, we needed to keep this party going. And all we had was our boners and our longing for feel-ups, and of course, the enjoyment of the company of the girls. Aside from the raging hormones and insecurities, it was something different for us. So Rich stepped up again, resuming his acting leadership role, really growing into it. So listen girls, we really want to have a second game, but thing is, we had to use all our money in the first game because Pidge and VJ got robbed in McDonald's by a big cast and Shane O'Connell. This was risky, Rich. Very risky. Ah, oh, Pidge. Poor Pidge and poor VJ. I couldn't believe it. The girls were straight over to Pidge and then VJ stroking their faces and hugging them. Rich carried on. 
So uh, I had to loan them the money to pay for the first game, which means the second game money was used. So you've only got enough to pay for half the game. Natalie spoke first. Ah, oh, Rich, that's so sweet you pay for the boys. Of course we'll pay. Helen's got loads of money. Now Rich was getting feel-ups, and I was feeling left out. What could I say here to get some feel-ups? And if I didn't get feel-ups, how could I act to make it look like I was cool with not getting feel-ups? So I slowly leant back and looked at the ceiling with some faux smile on my face, looking cool, right? Hating this and transporting myself to a party in the sky where I was the coolest geezer in there with sick trainers and Lauren was my bird and everyone loved us until I slowly began to tune back into the world around me. The sounds of bowling balls, screams and laughter and Pidge catching the tail end of his conversation with Lauren. Yeah, Shane didn't like my jacket. He always tries to bully me. I think it was too cool for him. Do you want to see it? Yeah, I'd love to see it. No, Pidge. No. My instinct alarm then sounded in my belly, but before I could act, Pidge had crossed back over the threshold, confidence and hormones blinding him. The bag was on the floor right in front of the girls. Pidge clumsily unzipped it to get his jacket out and pulled it out too quickly, along with four jazz mags, including the Cindy Cooper Christmas Special Edition of Men Only, which happened to open out on the centrefold of Joe Guest on a table by a Christmas tree, except for a Santa hat on, naked, Christmas minimalism. Oh my god, Pidge, you fucking pervert. Why have you got those? Immediately, Pidge got defensive. What? Oh, uh, they're not mine. The, the, the VJs, he bought them, it's his bag. VJ? No, no, I, I bought them for one boys, one each. Remember, boys? We, 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 sweat, we, sweat, we sell them, innit? Oh my god, you're all sad wankers. Perverts. Yeah, you sexist pigs. Helen, ever the sensible one. Why would you bring porno mags on a date, you dickheads? It was a good question. But wait. They said date. It was a date. Then Rich, acting like a leader again. Ah, oh, the thing is, girls, they're my uncles, and I was getting rid of them for him. He meant well, but this is why he wasn't a leader. So your uncle's a pervert? Uh, like, nah, but like... Natalie took decisive action. They're all perverts and wankers who are shit at bowling and wear crap clothes and spray too much links. Don't worry about that second game. Let's go wait for your mum, Lauren. Rich intervened again. Ah, oh, okay, it was a mistake. You weren't supposed to see them. Come on, we're having a good laugh. Nah, you're sad wankers. Go and have a wank in the toilets with your sexist mate, Kells. Lauren was dead quiet. I was worried now. Rich then turned to us, confidently as the girls walked off. Watch this, boys. I've got this. He turned to the girls as they were walking away and shouted, Natalie, will you go out of me? Without breaking a step. No. Then VJ. Helen, will you go out of me? No. Then of course Pidge followed, with the dying embers of his misplaced confidence not knowing where to place it. Helen, will you go out of me? No. I looked at Lauren. She looked like she was fuming. This is my chance. Open goal from Pidge. I was calling on him. Lauren, will you fuck off? Well, at least I got the Cindy Cooper Christmas edition of Men Only when we went our separate ways. But I'd left a tight-fitting faux designer athletic boxes in VJ's bag. Lord knows whatever happened to those. It's longer time! Yay! Yay. Yay. 
Slugger Time Poems, Stories and Thoughts by me, Paul Creed. Who else?